Well, good morning, church. Again, it's an honor and privilege to be with you. I, I look around, I can see that we are needy of two services. We've got lots of people here. I hope that everyone was able to find a, a seat and excited that we're going to have that space soon that will continue to cultivate a welcoming environment for those who are new. Um, this morning we are starting a new two-part series. We don't do this often, but we are doing a, a short series called The Church Gathered and Scattered. So this week we're going to be looking at the church gathered, and next week Pastor Daniel is going to be looking at the church scattered, looking at this twofold mission of us, the local church. I'm going to be reading from Ezekiel 34. If you're able, I'd love for you to stand in reverence to God's Word. A little bit of a lengthy passage. Um, I think there's a lot of meat here that you will learn from and, and enjoy. So this is Ezekiel 34. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. The word of the Lord came to me, the prophet, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts, my sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there is no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, for search from my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in grazing land on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountain of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. 
I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. The prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but his word endures forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning from your word, that you would give me the courage to get out of your way. Lord, would you use a broken man like me to bring your truth to your people that we might be fed today. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I was reflecting this past week on how I have lived in Durham in total now for about eight years with a little gap in between. And one of the things I've loved about this city ever since I got here is the food. Good food in Durham has been ever since I've been here. However, to the best of my knowledge, ever since I moved here back in 2007, there has always been this tiny little restaurant right around the corner from here, from this building, called the Tater Bread Cafe. Now, I've seen this little shop countless times since I moved to town, but I never once stepped foot inside. And the main reason why I've never gone inside is because it's kind of sketchy. It's kind of a rough little spot. From the outside, it looks like a great place to get food poisoning, not a great place to get good food. But about a year ago, a friend of mine mentioned to me that he had heard good things uh, about this little hole in the wall. Now, I should mention my friend had not actually been to this place. He was not brave enough to try himself, but instead was challenging me to go do some recon and then report back. And I don't like to turn down a dare, so I went for it, and I have to, I have to make a confession, true confession. Tater Bread Cafe has the best breakfast in Durham, hands down. And yes, I've been to Monuts, I've been to Rise, I've been to Scratch. No contest. Mind blown. It is amazing. Delicious breakfast. The tragedy is, you see, that for seven years I had avoided this place. Avoided it because I had certain expectations about what was inside. Inaccurate expectations, but expectations nonetheless, expectations that were driving my perception and therefore my experience. Which leads me to my opening question this morning. Why do you come here? Why do you come here? Why do you get up early on your day off, get dressed? For those of you with children, go through the circus act of getting kids to church. Why do you drive or walk all the way over here to the Haytai Heritage Center each and every week? I realize that many of you probably grew up in a family that just went to church on Sunday, that it's kind of in your DNA that on Sundays we go to church. And then maybe others of you were invited by a friend or a neighbor and you felt obligated to come and, and just be here and not be rude. Maybe others of you just didn't have anything better to do this morning. Maybe that's why you're here. I don't know why you in particular are here this morning, but I do know that the reason why you're here is vitally important. 
because it reveals your expectations. And as my trivial tater bread story highlights, very often our expectations have a way of profoundly shaping our perceptions and therefore our experience. What are you expecting when you come here on Sunday morning? Why are you here? The reason I ask this is because the predominant Christian subculture today is become increasingly less interested in gathering. The Sunday morning gathering is more often than not seen as an add-on, an optional bonus, or maybe at best a means to an end. And yet this morning I'm going to argue from Scripture that Sunday morning is not actually the means to an end, but it's actually the end in itself. And my hope is that as we look at the Scriptures, that I might be able to reorient your expectations so that you might come here each and every week expecting the best breakfast in town. This morning I want to look at two things. First, the primacy of gathering. Primacy of gathering. And then secondly, we're going to look at a picture of the gathering. The primacy of gathering and then a picture of the gathering. So let's begin. My point this morning is not that the Sunday gathering is important, but rather that it is of the utmost importance. I doubt very many Christians would argue against the importance of of this Sunday gathering, but I think many would argue against it having the utmost importance. And the reason why is because many of us believe that instead the scattering trumps the gathering, to use the terminology of this sermon series. That what being a Christian is all about is the going out, not the coming in. And yet what we're going to see from the scriptures is that that way of thinking is actually a little bit backward. And so I want to walk through this with you. Now, before you call me a heretic, please hear me out. I'm certainly not saying that the scattering is not vitally important. Daniel is going to preach next week, and I assume with some gusto, on why we need to get out of here. No doubt we have an important job to do outside of these four walls. However, what I'm saying is that job is not the end goal. We have to recognize that the scattering is, in fact, a means to the gathering and not the other way around. And unless we understand this, the work that we do out there will be misguided. So enough theory. Let's look now at the scriptures together. The way I want to do this this morning is when I was in seminary, maybe you learned this in middle school, but I was taught this reading technique that I found really helpful. The technique is that when I sit down with a book, I'm going to read the first page, then I'm going to skip all the way to the end and read the last page before I even engage with the book. And then I can begin to understand the story. The purpose of doing this is it gives you two critical bits of data right at the beginning. It tells you what the author is planning to do, and then it tells you where they ultimately are going to end up. And so that's what I want to do with our Bibles this morning. I want to look first in Genesis the very first pages of your Bible, and then we're going to skip to the very end. This is not in your uh, bulletin, but I, if you want to turn there, you're welcome to, but I'm going to be hitting some high points here. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But we're in Genesis chapter 1, and what we see there 
if you're familiar with the text, is verses 1 through 25, God is creating the world that we live in today, a world of matchless beauty and wonder. He creates a place. And then in verse 26, God creates us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit make man in our image. They make us, let us make man in our image after our, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, after our likeness. So the Godhead makes man in his image. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So what we see here, first a place and then a people to inhabit and enjoy that place. And then the rest of chapters 1 and 2 is a picture of man with God in this beautiful place, enjoying God and his creation. And if you're familiar with the story, you know what happens next. Chapter 3, sin enters into the world, and this glorious union and communion between God and man is broken. Adam and Eve are banished from the place, from the garden, and their perfect union with God is destroyed. So we see that at the beginning, God's design. God's design, His people in a place with Him And then we see how that design was destroyed. So now let's flip all the way to the end of our Bibles and see what happens. Does God call an audible? Does he give up on his design? Or does somehow he redeem that which he designed from the very beginning? Revelation 21 says, John is speaking, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Then skipping to verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven having the glory of God, its radiance, a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And then skipping down one last time, verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, Jesus By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of heaven will bring their glory into it, and the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter in, nor anything who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. 
they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Woo! That is a beautiful picture of where we're going. God's design restored and magnified. That's the end. A beautiful place for God to dwell with man for all eternity. And so hopefully you see there the arc of Scripture, God's master plan to create this place for Him to dwell with His people face to face. And what Revelation reveals is that one day that plan will come to fruition in its fullness. The gathering is in fact the good stuff. God's design from the beginning and the fulfillment that is guaranteed in the end. And somewhat anecdotally, if we don't recognize the primacy, the glory, the riches of the gathering, eternity is going to be quite boring. It's not going to be very much fun because one thing is for sure, and we see this made plain in what I just read in Revelation, is that when Christ comes back, the scattering will cease. There will be no more scattering. The remainder of eternity will be one unending worship gathering. We will worship together for all of eternity. So that's the primacy. We see that the gathering is the end goal. It's the only thing that remains. So what does that mean for us today? That's the million-dollar question, right? And what we see throughout scriptures, this is seen over and over again, is that in this in-between time, when the design was broken and we're waiting for Christ to come back, and fulfill this dream, God has graciously given us a regular preview of what is to come, a foretaste of the unending worship gathering. And that foretaste is the church. That's what this is. And starting all the way back in Genesis, we see that God created this pattern, this rhythm of God's people gathering weekly for rest and worship. And how this gathering even reflects the behavior of God himself, how he himself rested on the seventh day of creation, where he gathered with the Son and the Spirit for rest. And then we see this over and over and over again. I thought about walking you through the Bible this morning and showing you how the the gathering of God's people has been the lifeblood of the Christian trying to make it in this treacherous world. But instead, I decided I want to take us to Ezekiel 34, and I want to show you a picture of the riches that God has bestowed upon us in this gathering. I want to set your expectations really high when we see what God has intended for us, this design that He has created for this foretaste of what is to come. And so as we look now at Ezekiel 34, at this picture, the text is printed in your bulletin, As I read, what you see in verse 1 through 10, God is prophesying against the leaders of Israel, the pastors of the local church. And the underlying message here is God is saying, I created my people to be in community together, to gather. And you pastors, you were supposed to make sure that happened. And yet, verse 6, you failed. My sheep were scattered. Not the good kind of scattering. They were wandering all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search 
or seek for them. But then starting in verse 10, God says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself. He repeats himself to make sure that we're paying attention. I'm going to do it. I'm going to search for my sheep. I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and will gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. What's God saying here? He's saying, I'm not going to give up on this thing that I created and I designed. I will go get my people and I will gather them to my place. To use biblical terminology, he said, I'm going to bring them to where my glory dwells. God with men, the end goal, I'm going to make that happen. And then here, starting in the second half of verse 13, we begin to see this picture of what the gathering is to look like. What this thing called church, this Sunday morning worship, is intended to be. And I'm just going to walk through this with you guys, and I just want you to meditate and ponder on this truth and see if it might land for you. Verse 13, And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines, and in the, all the inhabited places of the country, I'll feed them with good pasture. On the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing. God knows that you're hungry, okay? And that the things of this world will never truly satisfy. So first and foremost, he brings us here to feed us. He comes here to nourish us, not bringing us to McDonald's, He's bringing us to Nana Steak, to Mateo. He's bringing us to the best, the richest, the most delicious of food. He says, come here to eat. Because unique to this place, the food that is served here is the Word of God. Not the wisdom of man. It's read to us. It's preached to us. It's sung. It's prayed. And it fills us up. It satisfies in the way that nothing else can. The gathering is a place where we come to be fed, to be nourished. Continuing on, he says, There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. Brothers and sisters, God knows that we're weary, that we're tired, that the weight of this world is simply too much to bear. And he says, Come here and rest. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So we come here to rest from the burdens of the world. And the reason that there's rest here is because here it doesn't matter what you wear, it doesn't matter where you work, it doesn't matter what color your skin is or how much money you have or whether you're married or single or divorced. It doesn't matter what sin you're struggling with. It doesn't matter how well you performed or, or contrary to popular belief, how many times you read your Bible this week. We come here and we lay down our reputation, our performance, and we rest. We don't have to perform. We get to be messy and broken and needy, and that's where rest is found. When we can lay down our guards and just be us, God-needy people. Come here to rest. Verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. God knows that we are lonely. 
and that the kind of relationship that we are most hungry for cannot be found here on this earth. So he gathers us here because he is here in a way that we will never fully understand in a mystical, supernatural sense. God has promised that his presence is here. Where two or three are gathered in his name, he meets us here. When, when people are gathered and we call upon his name, he promises to make his glory known in this place. That's what he does time and time again in the word, in his word. I just love the second part of this, verse 15. He says, I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. God knows how we are so reluctant to admit that we are lonely, that we need to be with him. So God is going to make us stay here. He's going to command us to come here. That which we most desperately need, he has to command us to do. It's like telling someone to cash in a winning lottery ticket. You shouldn't have to do that. They should know that. In the same sense, God is commanding us to come and be with him because he's here. He wants to meet us here. He wants to enter into that lonely, loneliness that we all struggle with. I think it's important to note here that God does not pick this sheep metaphor by accident. In our Western society, we probably would have preferred a dog being used here. A master and his dog, we can kind of get our minds around that. But God uses sheep here intentionally. And the reason why is because you will almost never see a single sheep in a pasture. They're meant to be in a herd. They can't function well on their own. The sheep won't survive well by itself. God is using this sheep metaphor because he's gathering us because we need to be together. With him, but together. Tim Keller says it this way, The context for a gospel-centered life is never merely individual. The gospel creates a new community, a unique community. One of the immediate changes of the gospel is grammatical. We instead of I, our instead of my, us instead of me. This kind of new community is not an optional thing, an extra for the Christian. Instead, it is a part of the overall purpose of God's kingdom. That's what we're seeing here. We come here because we're sheep. Because God made us for we instead of I. Because we need each other. And then verse 16, he says, I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. God knows that we are hurting. He knows that you are hurting. That this world has left us battered and bruised, and that we need to be healed. And so he gathers us here to be healed. We come here to be healed. And the reason I believe that the healing happens here primarily is because God's unconditional acceptance is present here. We have this recurring invite that is based not on our performance but on his love. In a world that demands that we perform and punishes us when we fail, we need a place to come where we can feel the freedom to be broken and the place where we can come to be healed. I know that may not be your experience of church. And I am so sorry if that is true. So often the church has been a place of pain a place that has inflicted pain on people. But that's not God's design. 
That's not what God intends. God has a picture of what this place can be as a place of healing and of rest and of hope. Lastly, verse 26. This is really the summary of it all. God says, And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. I will send down the showers in their season. They will be showers of blessing. Why do we come here? We come here to be blessed. God has promised that he will bless us here. He wants to shower you with blessing, with his presence in his body, the church. As we prepare to close, I do want to again recognize that for many of you, this may not be your regular Sunday morning experience. What I just shared may be far from what you experience here or have ever experienced in the church. And I get that. I know for me, it, was, it wasn't really until somebody began to paint this picture to reveal to me that which this gathering is intended to be that I began to discover and enjoy the riches that are found here. So if that is your experience, if Sunday morning isn't doing much for you right now, my challenge for you is to consider that maybe your experience is not based on what is happening here, but rather on the expectations that you bring to the table. Maybe you are metaphorically driving by the tater bread cafe, not willing to go inside because your expectations are off. What would it look like for you to come here with a different set of expectations. What if you came here expecting the best breakfast in town? Not because Christ Central is some sort of amazing church, but because God is here. His word is here. His people are here. And he has created this place, this gathering, for the purpose of blessing you beyond measure. What if that was your expectation? My challenge for you this morning, first and foremost is to come come to this place hear god's gracious commandment to come to gather commit to be a part of this weekly gathering and if you're out of town try to find some other brothers and sisters to gather with but when you come don't just come but come with high expectations and see if god doesn't meet them and then some because God has promised to delight us with the richest affair. And if we do that, before you know it, our hearts might be shaped like David's, and this prayer might become true of you. David says, in conclusion, One thing I have asked the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Let's pray. Father, I pray that that prayer would become true of my heart. That the thing that I long most is to be with you, to gaze upon your beauty, to experience your goodness, your faithfulness, your blessing, that I would delight to enter into this foretaste of what eternity will be. You with us, 
face to face for eternity. God, I pray that for each and every person here, that they would delight to be with you in your place. And that they would come hungry, hungry to encounter you, the living God, and to be transformed. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.